I had a coworker one time that I'm going to name Craig for the purposes of this example, that when he found out I was a Christian, he wanted to shred my faith to the point of where he would set out to try and prove to me that two plus two does not always equal four just as a way to break apart my faith and my beliefs, just to, to make the floor drop out on my Christianity. I was happy that, honestly, he was a programmer and I was doing other areas in IT, so I didn't, our paths didn't have to cross very often. But as a Christian who was relatively new, I had only been a Christian for a couple of years at that point, I didn't know where to go with such an attitude that somebody could have towards me. You ever been bashed for something that you truly believe in? It, with, whether it's your faith or something else that just you hold close and it gets knocked around, it can throw us off kilter. Maybe it's a sentiment. Maybe it's a value that we hold or that we try and live our lives by. If you've experienced this with your faith, it can even sometimes get us to react rather than to respond. And our reaction becomes kind of instinctual or gut level. And it's rarely something that helps out the image of our faith because it's something that we just, we do in the moment. What is the lifeline in those kinds of moments? What do we hang on to? Well, Jesus has some reminders, even some reality checks, if you will, that he can give us that can help to level out our perspective in those moments. And when we get to listen in on him telling his disciples the answer to that very question, what do we hang on to? Even better. And while it may come across like we're on, like I'm only talking to insiders with insider language as we go through this passage, because we are going to have a little bit of study, if you will, a little bit of diving deep to how sentences work together and all that sort of stuff. It does offer hope as well to those who may not yet share that faith that I hold close. So we can build up and we're going to start with the reality check part of uh, his of Jesus' words to his disciples. Out of John 15, this is verse 18 to 20. It goes like this. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. I bet I know what you're thinking from across the screen, wherever you might be seeing this. Okay, Brian, I'll give you six and a half seconds to tell me how this helps when somebody's bashing me for something that I hold dear. All right, then, challenge accepted. It's all about perspective. See, in my experience of doing races and climbing snow mountains, let me use that as my example here. If I tell myself that I'm at the bottom of a mountain and I look at the top and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk to get up there. No problem. No challenge at all. And then the first hard part comes of getting up that mountain and it always is going to come somewhere. If I tell myself it's going to be a cakewalk, it's like, where did this come from? And I'm mentally and I'm physically caught like deer in headlights and I got to regroup before continuing because I'm, I didn't expect it to be difficult. Contrast that with an attitude that comes with a little bit more experience of climbing mountains. If I know it's going to be a challenge, that there's going to be some hard parts or some steep uphills, that first hard part hits me. It's like, okay, I expected this. I knew it was coming and I just keep on going. This passage, these couple of words that Jesus, that Jesus gives, 
They're like a reality check. Because a non-Christian culture, is, which we have pretty much in the United States, isn't going to give a Christian faith the yellow brick road. Not going to give it a, a clear, uninhibited path to, to walk along. It didn't in the first century, and it doesn't in the 21st century either. And Jesus called it. And that's a good thing. Or the, the good thing is he didn't leave us there. But he continues uh, in John 15, verses 12 to 15, 17. goes like this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Here's a little bit of a public service announcement, if you will. These verses are the big picture. In their entirety, they give us something to hold on to when our faith is getting rocked by, the, by people around us who may not agree with where we're coming from. Now, I'm going to break it down a, li- a little bit and show how all these different ideas connect together so that it's not just a bunch of random statements because it can feel that way. John is just kind of jumping around, or Jesus in John's letter is kind of jumping around. Now, i got to tip my hat to John Piper in, as I was researching this and putting together and learning how these things went together. He has a resource that you can look up online, actually. It's called Look at the Book. It's an online resource. You can just Google, look at the book, John Piper, P-I-P-E-R, and you'll find it. He does a lot more than just this passage, but uh, a lot of these ideas and are going to come out of studying his work and his analysis of how these verses and ideas work together to give us a picture of hope. I'm going to start off with verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Everything hinges off of this verse. And this is the verse where a lot of, we can run ourselves into a lot of trouble. In fact, it all hinges really on two letters. I-F. If. You are my friends if you do what I command you. A little bit of a teaching moment here because you could have, looking at this word if, you could have a cause that is followed by an effect in the way that we use if in the English language. For example, if you are strong, then the Marines are going to want you. We were talking about if-then statements a few weeks ago. Here's an example to really break them down. Your recruitment prospects are based on your strength. Your strength kind of has the effect then that the Marines want you. In the passage, it would be it would be like looking at it and saying, if we obey, then we qualify as a friend to Jesus. It doesn't sound a lot like Christianity if you've looked at it at all. I hope there's another option. The good thing is, there is. Because we, didn't, we never end up earning qualification to be a friend of Jesus. Because our default is never to obey. So, the good thing is, we can have an if where it's like the effect is following and confirming the cause. Here's an example. If your white blood cell count is low, then that confirms that you are in remission from illness, from cancer, whatever it might be. 
flip that. If we are in remission, then that means your white blood cell count will be low. Take into our passenger. If we are already friends, then we obey. We do what we're commanded to do. Now that starts to sound a little bit more like Christianity. But how do we know that it's valid? How do we know that that statement or that that's the way that we can interpret these two letters if to make it work the way we want? Because it can kind of sound like, okay, Jesus is Lord because he says he was. That's what's known as a circular argument. And it's a very, very weak argument for us to make. And a very valid counter is, well, how do we know that that's true? So let's not take the straw man uh, way out. And let's go after this and, and try to verify that this is the way it works, that we obey, we do what Jesus commands because we are his friends, not as a way of trying to earn his friendship. Okay, so let, again, let's break this down. What's the commandment that Jesus calls us to obey? He tells us, at least he is very clear about all of this. He tells us in verse 12, says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Love one another. Easy enough concept to understand. Now, the the part that we get to hang on to that helps us out with that if, as I have loved you. Loved, L-O-V-E-D, past tense, already done. Before we even knew how to love, he, Jesus, loved us. John says in his letter in 1 John 4.19, he says this, We love because he first loved us. Now this isn't just a giving a friend a cup of cold water kind of love. This is a, the greatest love. Laying down his life for us, his friends. Paying the ultimate sacrifice for us before we did anything to obey him. If you ever thought you had to earn God's love, let me put, help you put this thought to rest. Nothing we do qualifies us for Jesus' love. But by the same token, nothing we do disqualifies us from his love either. As he says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. So how do we obey what he commands? How do we respond to Jesus' love by doing what he asks us to do? How do we respond to his love by loving others? We may think, okay, I want to do it, but how do I do it? Well, again, the good thing is Jesus is clear about this. Verse 15, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Now, maybe that verse alone doesn't seem to answer that question. How do I go about loving others? But it's like, look at, it's like Jesus saying, look at the other things that I've said the totality of the scripture, of the gospels. And I've told you how to pull it off. I told you how to do it. I'm not going to leave you hang to try and figure it out by yourselves. You're, we're not left in the dark. That's for the slave status. That's for people who haven't earned friendship status. We have been welcomed to the big person table. At, at Thanksgiving, maybe, you, you, in our family, at least we had the big person table and then you had the kid table. Well, we've gotten invited to the big person table. To hear, to learn the inside scoop, to the chance to learn what's behind the scenes so that we can learn how to obey the command to love as we have been loved. 
So what do we hang on to when we're getting shredded for our faith? And yes, I'm going to use faith as a thing that gets shredded because um, that's sort of where a lot of this is going. We hang on to this, that Jesus loved us first. He called us before we even knew him. He chose to call us friends. He's given us everything we need to respond to his love. To respond by loving others, even those who are shredding our faith on us. Even when it requires the strength of his spirit itself. It says in John 14, 26, he says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. If nothing else, this reminds us what we were going over last week when we looked at the Old Testament. However hard you're getting bashed, you are not going through it alone. So this week, I want to capitalize on that idea of I've made known to you how to do this. I want you to do this during this week. And do this during the first part of the week because it will kind of set up what's going to come. I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's a very simple text and probably you'll recognize parts of it even if you've never read any of the Bible before. Here's the thing. It offers some very practical ways, some very hands-on ways to show love to another person. I want you to read those three chapters and then each day, I want you to find one way to apply something that you learned from the Sermon on the Mount into your life. Maybe it's his words on anger. Maybe it's his words on judging or on retaliation. I definitely hope that it's not, you're not being influenced by his, uh, his words on murder or on adultery. If that's the temptation, I definitely hope you'll apply Jesus' words. But hopefully that's not the kind of temptation that you're going through. But in following what Jesus says. Yes, in obeying what Jesus says. It does not, again, earn us friendship, but it allows us to experience the abundant life that comes from the one who gave his life for us. May you get to experience that and that relationship with him this week, I pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for loving us first, for sharing what it takes, what we need to do to be able to love others in a way that brings honor and glory to you, that confirms that we are your friends because of your love. Help us to have the patience and the courage to do it and to stand in a faith that is in you and experience life that is in you this week, we pray. Amen.